GM, 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 and welcome to one of the inaugural episodes of the Web3 Made Simple podcast by Ziggy, where we discuss Web3 trends and muse about how it will go mainstream. We interview fellow founders and builders and tease out the insights that will help us all understand how this technology will go mainstream in the near and distant future. Today, we interview Cash Danda, originally a poker player, then a student of postmodern philosophy, and now the Sherpa and co-founder of Super Team Dow. Super Team Dow is a talent community that's now collectively earned 1 million in fees. And I think a super team as the future of labor marketplaces. I think that number, by the way, 1 million, undersells the power of this community. This is a community with a very strong presence in India and a community of talent that literally boggles the mind. I'll get to a story of that in the podcast, but in short, some of these people take Harvard students to shame. I'm super excited about Super Team because its underlying thesis, that of the potential for global talent, is the one that brought me into crypto in the first place. At my last company, Setter, I built a team of 40 in the Philippines and discovered firsthand the potential for good and good business of global employment. I think over the coming decades, we're going to see a much more globally equitable playing field. And I, along with the outspoken Balaji Srinivasam, think that India, and I guess in turn the world, will be the largest beneficiary. So without further ado, let's hear from Cash, who's at the forefront of this movement. Well, hey, Cash, nice to have you on the Ziggy pod. This is one of the first three episodes here. And super excited to speak with you. I think when we first met, really vibed on a similar insight about the opportunity for globalized work and talent. And I've been super excited. You know, I'm thrilled Vishal introduced us. I'm super excited about what you guys are up to. I love the way that you're tackling it. It's the epitome of lean startup. Your site just came out. So the progress is super exciting. And so, yeah, anyways, thrilled to chat. I won't belabor the point, but maybe I'll hand it over to you. would love to hear about your story and how it led to Super Team. And building on that, you also have a pretty unique founding team. So would love to hear about how that came together, how that acts as a superpower, so to speak, for y'all. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, first and foremost, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And shout out to Vishal for putting us together. All right. So my story, my background is actually not in technology or in business or anything like that. I went to school and studied postmodern political philosophy, which was a lot of fun, but oftentimes gets that kind of reaction. People are like, oh, okay. Certainly not a great thing to study if you want to get a job. So I was starting businesses pretty early on. So I started one in college in the music space. Then I ran an agency for a long while after college, moved to Singapore, was doing innovation consulting for a little bit, all the while paying attention to crypto was mostly in it for like speculative trading reasons and intellectual curiosity. I first got involved in, I think, 2016, because in the Ethereum white paper, they mentioned DAOs specifically. And with my philosophy training, I was very interested at the time in ways that power structures dictate who people are and how they act and all that good stuff. So obviously, DAOs are pretty exciting, but we're just kind of nibbling around the fringes for a while. And then if we fast forward all the way to 2021, I guess, I was looking for a switch and I had a job offer on the table actually from a big bank in Singapore to go be an entrepreneur in residence. Very fortunately, one of my poker buddies, this guy named Akshay BD, who had heard me talk about crypto basically nonstop for a long while, grabbed me by the shoulders and was like, hey man, why would you go work at a bank? Let's do something in crypto together instead. And so that's how I got in full-time, which is why I always advise everybody, if you're listening to this podcast, go play poker, go gamble. It'll be great for your career long-term, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forget if we talked about this, but I also played poker too when I was younger. I was 
really good in person and then terrible online because I'd go on tilt and lose all my money. (laughs) But I think it was an interesting training. Did you get into trading NFTs for a bit? Did you go through that whole period? Lots of my poker friends in crypto did and got pretty into the analytics of the whole thing. I did a little bit of NFT flipping. I'm very interested in the arts generally. I used to run this Instagram page called The Cash Collection and used to work in museums and all this kind of stuff. So I was interested in it from like the art perspective. I did a little bit of flipping, made a little bit of money, but I never got too deep into it. My poker got more into me back early in my crypto journey when I tried day trading and margin trading, which, spoiler alert, was a terrible idea. People probably should not be doing. Certainly, I should not have been doing it. But that addiction to the adrenaline powered me is definitely responsible for some part of my interest in crypto early on. Makes sense. And Akshay, he's got an interesting background too. What's his story? Yeah, so Akshay's story is the entire founding team has a very interesting backstory, right? So there's five of us. There's me, there's Akshay, there's a guy named Thunmay, Devya, and Neil. Akshay's background is that he, I think, used to be kind of a stand-up comedian early on. Then he decided to get a law degree. Then he was the first employee at Uber in India. And then he got into crypto, did some work with Bology on some things. Now he's obviously a core team member at Super Team and advisor to the Solana Foundation. He's also done a lot of things. Thunmay, who's another core team member, is a stand-up comedian who's had things on Netflix. He's very well known in India. Devia is one of the top comedy writers in the country. And then Neil is a lawyer or as a lawyer by training. So we have two lawyers, two comedians, and me, basically, is the composition of the team. Interesting. It's like the Brady Bunch. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cool. I think the next interesting place to dive in is, as I alluded to early in our interactions, I think it was clear as we both saw the same insight for the potential of global talent. And you quite quickly, we were working on the bounty bot at the time. And you introduced me to Usual, who had worked on a similar tool, but for Solana. And I think the speed at which Usual built it blew us out of the water was one thing that I noticed. (laughs) Generally, his talent and ambition blew my mind. I think, is he 16? Am I getting the age right, roughly? He might have been when you met him. I think he's 17 now, but he's still very much in high school, whatever age he is. Yeah. And I asked him, I was just curious what his plans are. And I was like, do you want to go to IIT? To which he looked at me as if I was crazy and said, oh, no, I wouldn't do that. That's a total waste of time, which I thought is crazy. And for anybody listening, if you're not familiar, IIT is the Harvard of India and 10 times harder to get into than Harvard, if I understand it correctly. Yeah. Talk me through how you think about the power of international employment, what folks are sort of not seeing in that vein and what it means to you. So Joel, indeed, he's a great example of just someone who's really young, really hungry. And in many ways, I guess he's symptomatic of just Indian talent in general. So Super Team right now has a focus on India. We've just launched in a few new markets, but India is where we've been at for the last year. When I think about talent internationally, I think there's probably a few things people miss. So the first one is that talent is just overflowing in these other places. There's that old cheesy line, talent is evenly distributed, but opportunity is not, blah, blah, blah. But just if you look at the raw numbers, it'll blow you away. The top 1% of Indian talent is as good as the top 1% talent anywhere else in the world. And then the top 10% of Indian talent is literally a larger population than all of France or all of take whatever European country you want. It's just the absolute numbers when you have 1.3 billion people, they get pretty mind boggling pretty quickly. So I think people are not hip to just how much talent there is in these other countries, particularly in India. I think people also sometimes forget about the way in which the opportunity cost of growing up in one of these other countries, these ascending markets, as we like to call them, developing nations, as they're sometimes called, is really low. 
If you are in India, your options are go earn, let's say $1,000, $2,000 a month working someplace at a pretty good white collar job or explore things online. So one of the interesting things for Super Team early on as we thought about employment was, hey, DAOs are great. They're probably going to be a big part of the future of work. But if you are, let's say, a Google engineer, you're sitting in Palo Alto or whatever else, the opportunity cost of you not working at Google is really high. And the type of DAO earnings that you could have, half an ETH a month, one ETH a month, is just not going to be enough to entice you away. Versus for the same level of person in India, that can represent more than your entire month's salary. And you can earn that in a week by working on a bounty. So when you have lower opportunity cost, you are able to take more risk. And so naturally, things like crypto draw more people in. And then lastly, I would say what's really exciting is in particular in India, but also in places like Vietnam and others, there's an incredible amount of digital sophistication and infrastructure that allows people to really easily enter into Web3 in particular, but in general, internet communities. People outside of India might not know that there's a digital ID system. It's called Aadhaar, I believe. And it has 90% of the entire Indian population signed up. That's a billion people who have a digital ID and are used to having a digital ID. There's UPI, wow. which is like the dominant retail payment rails in India. They do like $950 billion a year in transaction volume. There's something like a 1.2 billion mobile connections in these countries, in India alone. So when you think about people who are kind of hip to using technology, who know how to use it, and who are comfortable already using it, the market's all in the emerging markets. I think in many ways, crypto has been and will continue to be an emerging market story predominantly. So it makes sense to look for talent in those markets as well. Yeah, that's wild. What's done with this digital ID system? Is that where your driver's license and health card are stored or what's stored there? Yeah, exactly. It kind of connects all the dots between, let's say, your finance accounts, your healthcare accounts, and so on and so forth. Let's say your mobile phone plan might use it. It's a way just to make sure that all these people who sometimes are in rural areas are at least registered in the system in some fashion so that they can participate in all of the government programs that exist. Very cool. Yeah, the thing I was floored by, frankly, I got scammed a couple times on crypto once by Mt. Gox, once by Quadriga, which was the Canadian equivalent of Mt. Gox. A lot of people yeah. don't know about it, but I'm from Canada. And Sifu. what's that? Oh, I said Sifu, who made a reappearance in crypto last year with the sushi yeah. swap stuff. But I didn't really get into it until after we sold my last company. And the way that I got into it was I had built this team in the Philippines and I was speaking with them and they were all involved in Axie one way or the other. This was at a time, this is like early 2021. Crypto is still not a huge thing globally or in the Western world, but at that time it was really not. And yet the whole team was either playing this game or providing scholarships to people to play this game. <laughs> there were plenty of stores, I gather, that were accepting Smooth Love Potion as tender. Quarter, the people that had LSLP were unbanked. And that whole concept blew my mind. And that was when my eyes really became open to it. Makes a ton of sense. Let's move this over to, I think I mentioned this to you, plenty of the folks listening will be newish to Web3. I think what you are up to with Super Team DAO is a really interesting innovation in the world of labor marketplaces. So let's talk about labor marketplaces broadly. How do you think about how to segment labor marketplaces? What do you think are the trends in labor marketplaces? And how do you think Super Team fits into that landscape? I think fit on an XY axis four quadrants, basically. And you might label those as stability on one axis and maybe like seriousness on the other. And once upon a time, all the work was serious, stable work, going into an office eight hours a day, going into a factory, whatever else it might be. Over the last 10 years, maybe it's become a little bit less stable. There's more people freelancing. The obvious example of this, the gig economy and all of that kind of stuff. 
I think the trend that we're trying to take advantage of is certainly as people become willing to take on more risk and willing to underwrite more risk to have less stable jobs, to be more freelancing and to work with multiple organizations. Super Team wants to be there and help those people connect to those opportunities in whatever way is possible. And I think you see a lot of really talented people prefer to work on multiple things at any given time. Actually, Kierkegaard had this idea of crop rotation for the mind. If you think of your mind as multiple plots, you want to have multiple problems that you're working on at any given time such that other parts of your brain can regenerate and keep you fresh in the same way that you would do like on an actual farm. So I think that's one dominant trend that we're seeing, that people like that and get better outcomes out of their own work, both professionally and personally, if they're able to do multiple things at once. That's what I like to tell myself when I'm watching Rings of Power. I'm just, I'm sort of <laughs> having different parts of my brain working. <laughs> right, go on. Yeah, Kierkegaard, big Lord of the Rings fan. The other axis I think to look at is seriousness, which is definitely not a technical term. But broadly, I think what we're seeing now, particularly with crypto, are the ways in which people are willing to kind of monetize their recreational time, where the boundary between like what is work and what is play is getting blurrier and blurrier financialization of life is starting to come to the fore. Axie is one great example, and Play to Earn generally is one great example of this. People were playing Axie. I was not an Axie player by all accounts. Moderately fun if you were good at it, but mostly you were kind of like working while you were playing as well. I see you shaking your head, maybe not as fun. It's a bit of a negative story now because SLP is tanked and it's been slightly canceled, I guess, so to speak. But I think what those guys have done is really phenomenal. They brought a ton of the Philippines online through the system. I think it was incredibly innovative. I think they took on a ton of stuff. I think the game itself was not very fun at all. It was like a really bad version of Pokemon. And yet people were still willing to do it. And I think the useful thing about Axie is that it served as like a beacon for the future to inspire other builders. The first version of things is always pretty terrible. And in this case, it was like maybe not that fun, but I think we'll see games becoming much more fun with that same earning component built in. But you don't have to look at it just in play to earn games. Right now in crypto, there's a lot of people who just go after airdrops, the airdrop hunters. And it's like a mixture of scavenger hunt and you're trying to earn and maximize your potential, but you're also trying to figure out strategies to do well there. It's like this weird blend of serious play, you might call it, where there is a goal, you are trying to achieve an outcome. That outcome is financial, but it's not really like a job in any sense. It's not even like a freelancing opportunity because no one's really asking you to do it. It's self-directed exploration that you can monetize. So I think going forward, if I look over the next 10 years to go back to that two by two, if 20 years ago, we kind of focused on one part of the graph. Nowadays, we're focusing on about two. I assume that there's going to be some more bleeding into the other areas of that graph as well, where more people are monetizing their time, their interests, their cultural habits, their tastes in ways that they're not really doing right now. Is that technically labor in like the 1950s economist sense of it? Probably not, but it's how I think about where earnings are coming from over time. Makes sense. I've definitely experienced some of the airdrop hunters as well. It's quite crazy, like the web of telegram groups that go on <laughs> beyond the scenes govern these. We in an experiment some time ago, we added a feature to our bounty bot, which was a referral feature. So if you referred someone to the Discord, you would get a small amount of tokens and the person that you referred would get a small amount of tokens. And I created a Discord server and I found three folks randomly through Twitter, added them to the Discord and released this incentive and just waited. And it's the prototypical exponential plot that eventually broke our servers of people <laughs> like going after this. It was a quartermatic that you could earn for referring someone and for both the refer and the claimer. And I discovered through this 
the telegram groups in the background. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they do exist. This was presumably like the basis for Chainvine eventually, right? This was the basis for Chainvine, yeah, which is now the focus of we really need to have a bit less movement on the branding front. But yes, Chainvine <laughs> is now the focus of Ziggy. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. There's one way in which the financialization of incentives to just live your life is kind of dystopian. There's a weird black mirror feeling to it. And then there's another which is like, hey, this is just the reality of the way the world is going. And ultimately, if it helps more people, particularly those in emerging markets, earn and secure their lives and their families' lives, then unalloyed good thing, even if it feels kind of uncomfortable right now. But yeah, that's interesting to hear because like quartermatic is, I mean, what was that at the time? A literal quarter or something like that? The financial incentives don't have to be very large. I think it was like 12 and a half cents. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So just for like a few pennies, people are interesting and willing to do this, which I think is pretty exciting. I think it's quite exciting. And I agree with the fact that you could look at this from a dystopian perspective, or you can look at it from the positive perspective. And what I'm pretty excited about in this whole space is through these mechanisms, effectively incentives for actions, so to speak, specifically in the world of growth, effectively what you're doing is disintermediating Amazon, Google, Facebook. In Web 2, 33% of VC dollars went to those companies. It's actually, by the way, if you kind of like map it, that's a bit dystopian. These companies fund VCs that then start startups that then spend money back on the fan companies. But this is a way that you can do that in a decentralized way and give ownership to the community for helping to get the word out through these games effectively. Another thing I'd love to pull on with Super Team is I think a superpower for Super Team is the community. And so I'd love to pull on that for a bit. If you look at a company like Upwork, Upwork doesn't have much of a community, so to speak. My last company, Setter, we were a home services marketplace. We didn't have much of a community. What do you think that these Web2 labor marketplaces are missing about community? Because it's a newer thing and it's definitely much bigger in Web3. And what are some of the examples for you guys as to how you've seen the sheer power of community? Yeah, so I think in general, there's a emphasis on scale in Web 2 in a way that I think in Web 3, it's more effective if you have an emphasis on depth, which is why community becomes so useful. The community fundamentally is defined by the strength of the social ties between the people who are in the community rather than the people at the front of the room reaching out to all of them. If you think about the world, well, what would it be like if we built these marketplaces around depth as opposed to breadth? For one, you would start with the community rather than starting with the product, what we did at Super Team. We wanted to kind of get a bunch of talented people in the room get them to be really friendly and familiar with each other, build up a sense of belonging and identity for it, as well as brand, of course. And then on the back of that, we're now launching Super Team Earn a year later. The community ends up being really powerful for us for a few different reasons. One, we know that we have highly engaged talent for the platform from day one, which is already being used to like service all types of work from like video creation to developer stuff to design and so on. Two, I think that the community provides this evangelicism that's really useful. I don't know if that's a real word. I think so. Almost like in the Chainvine world, where if you have a group of people who are dedicated to each other and they're willing to support each other in different types of ways, that means supporting each other's projects. We've seen that on Super Team Earn for sure, but we also see it in the way that the community ends up being like a microeconomy of sorts, where Sheck, who's the founder of a project called WordCell, will end up employing other members of the community to work on his project. Or the new developer who's just picking up Solana will host Rust sessions, Rust is the language Solana is coded in, to help other members of the community kind of upskill themselves as well. And then once they've been upskilled, they use those connections to either go out and get jobs, start to build things, or just build fun side projects. 
So I don't know how applicable the community-facing model is to Web2 in its current form. I think it works for us because we're more concerned with having a deep impact on a few people rather than a more shallow impact on tons and tons of people. And in that spirit of low expectations in absolute numbers, I think frees us up to do things in ways that are much more fun and fulfilling and better for the people that we're trying to serve. Isn't the North Star of Super Team, though, is it gross earnings by the community? Community GDP. Isn't that in some sense, if that's your North Star, don't you have an ambition of scale, so to speak? Certainly, we have an ambition for impact is the way that I would think about it. Community GDP is just the measure of how much people have earned through super team opportunities. So not just generally how much they're earning, but specifically types of ways that we're helping them either through bounties, grants, or whatever else might come along. And we certainly want that number to be larger. But at the same time, we've capped the community size at 150. So we have 150 members. We'll never have more than 150 members. We churn them out regularly. Every month, we kick out inactive members. And the idea there, that's a little bit in deference to Dunbar's number, this idea that you can only know 150 people and kind of hold them in your head at a given time, because we want the community to have these strong ties. And that means that you kind of know who's there and who's not. So if we were interested in pure scalar ambition, we might do something more similar to what let's say like developer DAO is doing on Ethereum, which I think is really great and very cool. No shade to them at all. But it's like, hey, you get a bunch of developers and I think they have like 4,000 or 5,000. Or you can go even broader and have like a fully open and permissionless community that anybody can join and do fun and interesting things in. In my opinion, those types of communities have a very difficult time sustaining because again, as you add in more people, it dilutes the average strength of the connections within the community. And so it ends up dispersing. And I think that's probably what we've seen over the last 12 months, really over the last six months in the bear market, as these big DAOs from the last cycle, which were open, permissionless, and really great to think and talk about, weren't able to sustain a highly active and engaged group of people. So now they're just kind of like five core team members pushing it forward. This is a long way of saying that scale matters, but perhaps less in like the Web2 sense of like absolute scale and more in like the micro sense. In a way is what you're saying that some of the people that participate on Super Team Earn will not be part of the Super Team community, so to speak. Correct. That's right. Interesting. And so those earnings are not then part of your North Star. How do you think about that as an objective and how that fits into the whole puzzle, so to speak. Super Team Earn as a product will hopefully do two things. One, it'll create just a focal point for the Solana ecosystem of where to go when you want to earn, which we think is just good for the ecosystem. And what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If it's good for Solana, it's good for us because we care about Solana. And the hope and the truth is within the interface, we are doing subtle things to kind of boost Super Team members within it. That's partially selfish. It's also partially because we know we can trust these folks. So Literally on Friday, we're launching a talent directory in private beta, which is just going to consist of super team members and contributors, as well as anyone else who completes a bounty or a grant through the platform. So they'll also be involved, but they'll be kind of like a smaller subset. So the hope is that we can shine a light on some of the highly talented people who are already within the community. Further, as we have more opportunities there that we have an eye on and we can see who's doing good work, who's not doing good work, we'll be able to use that as our talent flow for the community itself. We're always looking for more highly committed people. This is our way of creating a bunch of talent magnets and having some visibility into who's actually successfully completing those so we can bring them in and indoctrinate them in the super team philosophy. Very cool. I love it. And kudos on the launch. I love how you, you sort of combined all the earning opportunities into one, bounties, grants, full-time jobs. I think that's what needs to happen. I really like how you've done that. 
it was really driven by the community. Actually, like the nice thing of having the community first is using it as a research vehicle. And one of the insights that came up to us is that people just want to earn whatever way they can, or oftentimes, at least for our community, they were like, hey, it'd be great to get a good job. In the meantime, I'm happy to pick up a bounty or I'm happy to work on a grant for a little while. And if I'm building my own side project, I might need some extra side income here. Those lines are kind of getting blurred where people just kind of need to sustain themselves and become self-sovereign financially. And they're kind of willing to do what it takes to get there, which might be grab bag of different things rather than just a job board or just a bounty board. Yeah, it makes sense. The nomenclature earns an interesting one actually, right? Because that was Balaji's original venture before <laughs> I think he joined Coinbase. And it's further interesting because as you mentioned, you use the community for product insight. And actually, if I'm not mistaken, that was the primary thing that Earn was used for. You email people, you pay them a tiny bit to give you some feedback, respond to an email or something like that. That's right. Yeah. So certainly major shout out to Balaji and to Lily Liu, who's now president of the Solana Foundation, who was, I think, CTO at Earn early on, very much inspired by what they were doing. I think at the time they were more focused on kind of like micro payments for like educational content. Like you say, like kind of learn a little bit about something and earn a little bit. We're interested in that as well as larger earning opportunities. But critically, the one unquestionable use case of crypto is payments. So it makes sense, obviously, that there would be earning related products in crypto. And that's why we built Earn. Makes sense. The goal is to keep these to 30 minutes. I haven't done such a good job at oh. that so far. <laughs> I'll leave you with two last questions that I think will be interesting for folks. One is, let's look at the past six months, basically since post-bear. What are the two to three events that you think current or aspiring Rev3 builders should be paying attention to? That's the first one. And then the second one I'll leave you with is, who are the two to three people that you're learning the most from in Web3 currently? Gotcha. So in terms of what people should be paying attention to, I think it's easy to overlook just how many gigantic financial institutions are now coming into the crypto space, even though the bear has been going on. You see Fidelity is building out like a massive crypto team. CMOE is like using Pith and is now like publishing data directly to the blockchain and a bunch of these other players. Obviously, DeFi has had a pretty tough time over the last year. TVL is way down across every chain, including Solana. My sense is that as soon as the bull starts to pick up again, we're going to see massive liquidity inflows. This is just a note to people to investigate DeFi and don't chase what's hot. Right now, what's hot is like maybe NFTs, gaming, stuff like that, which is great. But DeFi is going to come back in a big way, I would think, at some point. So those are some interesting developments in the bear. What else has happened in the last six months that is cool? I think if you look at the amount of talent that is continuing to leave Web 2 and come into Web 3, that's pretty noteworthy. All of the massive tech layoffs that have happened, obviously Twitter is on top of the news right now since Elon wants to lay off 75% of them, but every company is facing cutbacks, which means two things. One, there's a lot of talented people that are looking for something new and kind of cutting edge to work on. And two, there's a bunch of young, talented people graduating from top universities that no longer have the obvious, oh, I'll just go get a job at Facebook available to them. So I think we're going to see more and more talent starting to flow into the space. And just keeping an eye on that for people who are looking for collaborators to work on projects together would be really important. Are those two in the direction of what the question is trying to ask? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that makes a ton of sense. On the Elon thing, my bet is that this is actually just a ploy to get out of the Twitter deal because he's creating some sort of pressure. <laughs> now the Twitter employees don't want him to buy Twitter because they're going to fire 75% of them. So. I saw an interesting thing that like there's a bunch of options which are going to vest on like November 4th or something like that. So he has to fire them over the weekend, basically, to create this massive savings of where they wouldn't get their vesting options, which sounds diabolical. 
do your own research. That's just a legend. My recommendation to anybody that doesn't want to be part of that 75% is don't sign that letter. (laughs) (laughs) The letter that came out to them is so bad. Those are the first to go. (laughs) That's a fact. It's almost a Brian Armstrong move in that way. If he was like, Coinbase is a mission-driven company. We're not a political organization, which kudos to him, I think was a good decision. Yeah, definitely tough at the time. All right, last question is two to three people that you find you learn the most from at Web3. Okay, so I would say first is probably this guy, Joel John, who's a principal over at a VC fund called Ledger Prime. He has a newsletter called Decentralized that is free. I don't know how it's free. It's incredible, incredible insights into emerging markets and into DeFi in particular. So go check him out. I always learn when I talk to him. Other Web3 people, one would be Rafa. Rafa, who I don't know personally, I've never spoken to him. I think now he works at Mirror, but he was early at Cavendale. This is the Rafa the Builder. That's right. Rafa the Builder, exactly, with a little green PFP. He is like by far the smartest person in the world on like community building and narrative setting and all these kinds of things. When we started Super Team, I literally spent three days reading every tweet he'd ever made and found them incredibly useful. So Rafa, if you're listening, shout out to you. Thank you for all your writing. And then third, I have to include Matt Levine, even though he's not technically a Web3 person. Matt Levine is a writer at Bloomberg. He puts out a daily newsletter, which is the highlight of my day every day, primarily about financial markets. It's a common saying that like crypto is just speed running the evolution of finance. And if that is true, which I think it is, it's beneficial to understand finance in general. And he writes about both finance and just general corporate behavior. The best writing on the Elon saga with Twitter by far. And he's just a general person that I learn the most from because I read him every single day. So those would be my three. Cool. There's two people in there that I haven't been paying attention to. So I will do so. Thanks for those names. Cash, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for hopping on and sharing a bunch of insights. And keep up the great work with Super Team. It's super fun to observe your journey from the sidelines. Excited about what you're up to. Appreciate you giving me the chance to talk and always a pleasure, Brian. (laughs) 